Public Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Listening to Republic Broadcasting at republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Monday, April 26, 2021. I'm your host, Richard Carey, and this is Beyond the Official Narrative. I'd like to remind everyone RBN is listener supported. Please donate whatever is manageable, and no donation is too small. Free speech simply cannot stay alive without being funded by We the People. Please help ensure that RBN continues broadcasting uncensored content well into the future. You can use PayPal on the RBN website donate page. You can call our RBN staff to donate via credit or debit card. You can call in to donate at 800-724-2719, extension 3. Or you can mail in your donation, cash, check, money order, to Republic Broadcasting Network, 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas, 78664. And we greatly appreciate it, folks. Right now, with every $100 donation, as our gift to you, you can have your choice of a T-shirt with the RBN logo uh, with high quality uh, in your size choice or an RBN coffee mug. It's a great conversation starter in either case. We have a chat room at beyondton.chatango.com. And uh, we're going to keep the phones closed, at least for the majority of the show, um, as we do have a special guest along with us. Of course, I do have my regular Monday co-host uh, here with me, Mr. Paul Edward Stevenson. Hello, Paul. Hi, Richard. It's great to be with uh, you in the audience and, uh, of course, our special guest tonight. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. Always good. Always good to hear your perspectives on Mondays, Paul. And this airing, folks, we have E. Michael Jones joining us. E. Michael Jones is an American writer, a former professor at St. Mary's College in Indiana, and the current editor of Culture Wars magazine, former Fidelity magazine. Jones began as an author of issues dealing with the Catholic Church from a traditional Catholic perspective and has been critical of the Second Vatican Council's consequences for Western civilization as a whole. He also writes on topics such as the argued decline of Western culture and the culture wars, cultural Marxism, the Bauhaus school of architecture, 
as well as the mindset of modernism and postmodernism generally. Perhaps his best-known work is The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and Its Impact on World History. And, uh, well, Paul and I, uh, well, Paul has known uh, Mr. Jones for quite some time, actually. Without further ado, Mr. E. Michael Jones. Hello, sir. Hello. Good to be here. That's excellent to have you here, sir. And uh, Paul um, and I agreed that he would conduct the interview because he's more familiar with you, sir. Uh, you know. So please, Paul. Yeah, well, that was a, a good introduction. I, I would add also his, his most recent book, uh, Logos Rising, which was published last year, and I still need to get a copy of that book. Anyway, Mike, how you doing? I think we last spoke, you were on here in December, I think. So how's things? Yes, good, good. By the way, uh, the the second edition of the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit will be out at the end of the month. Uh, three volumes, 600 pages of new material. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, two historical chapters that weren't in the original, plus all, all of the articles on that topic that have appeared uh, since the first edition came out about 11 years ago. All right, excellent. I'll be uh, keen to get a copy of that as well to uh, enjoy those updates. Um, where would you like to take it, Mike? You know, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I was talking, we, we had a guest on about three weeks ago. It, it just feels that everything is accelerating you know whether it's coronavirus we've got the we've got this war mongering rhetoric uh, we've got all the troops built up in the russian border we've got a, an economy which is you know teetering on the edge of, of collapse in, in my opinion i mean where do we where do we start with this i mean what what do you think is the most pressing thing we're facing yeah uh the latin phrase uh motus in fine velocior uh Toward at the end, things go faster. Mm. Uh, so everybody knows that things are going faster. So therefore, it must be the end of something or other. But the 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 most pressing point right now, the the the, the cutting edge of the assault on the entire human race right now is, of course, the the COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, here in uh, the United States, uh, the Google News aggregator for the last four days has been talking about the COVID crisis in India. Uh, I've never, I've never seen India at the top of the list for as long as I've seen it today. I've never seen the COVID rhetoric get more hysterical than it's getting right now about India. And so I, I contacted uh, my, uh, my people uh, in India, people I know in India to try and get some type of, uh, understanding of what's go going on over there and uh it, it's it they're trying to piece it together but it looks to me uh, first of all over here i think we've all reached uh, herd immunity i i don't know uh what it's like in texas i think it's probably even more unlocked down than it is in indiana we never had a serious it, uh, took it all that seriously in indiana florida has basically declared the whole thing is over texas had that uh the baseball game, the, the Texas Rangers played, the stadium was full, nobody was wearing masks. I think it's pretty clear that we reached whatever it was, herd immunity for this. And that's a problem now for the pharmaceutical companies because they've got all of these vaccines uh, that they're just now ready to uh, inject into the world's population. And so I think what's happening in India is, is significant because uh, – uh, they are now the cutting edge. They are now the, the state-of-the-art guinea pigs. 
for what's for what's going on. So the people I'm talking to are saying, uh, oh, just an example, uh, they're spreading panic among the middle classes in India. The middle classes in India manage the lower classes for the benefit of the oligarchs throughout the rest of the world, largely through transnational corporations that are involved in things like garment manufacturing because India is the cheap labor capital of the world. So they hire a, a cook from one of the lower classes, and then she tells them, my, my friends, that uh, all of her people are pressuring, all of her other clients are pressuring her to get the vaccination because they won't hire her because they're afraid she'll spread the disease. Well, she gets the vaccination. She immediately gets sick. Okay, and now uh, she's out of commission. Uh, this is what has been happening uh, recently here. You have uh, if, if you if you uh, walked out of your house and got hit by a truck any time within the last year and a half, it would be called a covid death. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and now but the, now we're in a different phase because now if you get the vaccination and you drop dead within 15 minutes, it has nothing to do with the vaccination. Yeah, there's this complete, complete propaganda uh, over over the whole covid thing. So I think that now uh, they're they're trying. So what's going on there? Well, people are getting sick. Well, guess what? People get sick all the time and people die all the time, especially in India, you know. And so she's talking about people who are uh, they're getting sick. They got a fever. And if the doctor knows what he's doing, he, he's telling him, well, well get a, get, don't do it, get a COVID test. They're worthless. Uh, let's get a, a, an X-ray. And it turns out uh, like people have pneumonia. And it turns out that uh, from this anecdotal evidence that people who have had the vaccine are more likely to get pneumonia now. Uh, but uh, the pneumonia is uh, going to be translated into COVID. It's going to be uh, categorized as COVID because they need to create a new pandemic because they need to sell more vaccines. And so now that you, so that you read the headlines, you can have a pretty clear idea of what's going on. England is now going to rush vaccines to India. <clears throat> now, the problem here is we don't know whether the vaccines are causing problems. Because you're not allowed to ask that question. That is a that will get you banned uh, from the internet. So, we're it, 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 the problem is now going to come down to to government. So the problem with India is that notoriously uh, the government doesn't represent the people. They're just notorious for that. They've all been bought off either by big corporations or someone or else. And it turns out that India itself was bought off by the World Health Organization, who basically gave them a billion dollars to lock down. And uh, that billion dollars, I know this from my context there, that that got shuffled off to cronies uh, in uh, various sectors of the economy who are big supporters of uh, of the BJP, which is the party in power right now. And as a result, uh, the hospital care is not as good as it was. It happened happening here. The COVID is basically impacting the effect, uh, the delivery of hospital care. And that is causing contributing, <clears throat> contributing to the panic. And, and they know that, too. So they're going to attribute it to COVID and create a kind of vicious circle here. Yeah. 
Uh, the, the the sort of the health service over here is, is suffering as well because you have a backlog of people with heart problems, people who didn't you know with cancer issues didn't get uh, early diagnosis, didn't get the early treatment, and some estimates are that we could have as many as sixty thousand one cancer organisations speculated we could have as many sixty thousand extra cancer deaths than what is normal, and we have I think. 120,000 COVID deaths, but recently that was revised to 80,000. So, I mean, this thing is just a total wrecking ball. And also, the scenes in, I thought exactly the same as you, obviously. You know, does anyone care about all the deaths in India? I mean, you know, I, I imagine... That even the, some of the conditions that they were, you know, that they're showing the that how their bodies are being burnt and stuff like that. I mean, there's so much poverty in India. I doubt whether everyone gets an official, uh, dignified burial at the best of times. And it reminded me a lot of the scenes in Italy uh, before we locked down here. And I'm wondering whether they're preparing the soil for telling this that you know oh the 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 horrible uh india variant has made it into the uk and we're going to have to lock down again and it's uh we're going to have to have a new vaccine for that variant you know well they've already said that the head of pfizer has already said that well we'll probably have to get a third shot and and by the way you'll probably have to get a shot every year from now on to well look this is going to come down to uh political power all right, we know you're scientists. We don't believe you anymore, okay? Because how can what are you supposed to do when you have two scientists uh, uh, who contradict each other? And what can what am I supposed to do when the head of the uh, the world scientific uh, uh, vaccine operation has uh, is a, a former computer programmer who does nothing about medicine? We're, they're losing they're losing their credibility because of what's happening and now what you have is a situation like uh the one in a neighboring state of michigan which is a complete totalitarian state and uh, it was the coup d'etat that put this totalitarian state really in power was covid and they are using it to destroy it was obvious they were using it to destroy the uh rural uh let's say the population of everyone outside of detroit and ann arbor because they were republicans and they voted for donald trump and they needed to be punished now it's gotten to the point where the people of Michigan are the enemy of the of the government. I'm talking specifically about the attorney general, the attorney, just a Jewish lesbian by the name of Dana Nessel, okay, who was put in there with Soros money with the backing of drug dealers, the Marijuana Association of, of Michigan. Now, this is so these are the people she's beholden to, but if you take her uh, her sexual uh, orientation, uh, and the biases that goes with it, she her job is to persecute normal people, and COVID gave her the classic the the, the the excuse to do that, and now she's run amok. And so the question is, can can the people, maybe uh, basically take back uh, representative government, the institutions that are supposed to represent them? This is the biggest crisis of our day, and it's 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 been going on for years over here now the trump uh, election was a manifestation of the dissatisfaction that people had mm. the, i've been talking about this for years over here but it's a crisis of representative government where the government is simply going to have to say step in and say uh you know you uh, you advise us but we make the decisions 
right now, this has been completely reversed. We have to get back to some type of normal understanding because otherwise the oligarchs is just going to take over the entire world. Yes, yeah, very much looking that way. And you, you said about, you know, how can we have any you know confidence in the scientists? Because, you know, you have the scientists with uh, contradicting views. <laughs> in, the, in, in, the, uh, in the case of Dr. Fauci, we don't even need two different scientists with uh, contradicting views. No, he contradicts guy. himself. <laughs> someone, sent me a, someone sent me a little amusing image and uh, said uh, a debate between these two would be epic. And you've got a picture of Fauci in March 20 and another picture of Fauci in March 21. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So they're contradicting themselves and they're undermining their own their own narrative. Now the question is can we bounce back here? That's the big question. And it yeah. depends it, it depends on the 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 nature of the people. So uh I like the difference between Ireland and Poland is an example that I like to talk about. That the the resistance to the sexual agenda in Poland now allows the Polish people a, 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 an element of independence to the point where the Polish government is actually protecting them against the big tech oligarchs yeah, uh, not, and deplatforming. Yeah, I'm not so sure that's the case in Ireland, though. I remember we did a piece No, it's of the opposite. The yeah, opposite yeah, happened yeah. in Ireland because yeah. they capitulated on the sexual agenda. They, did yeah. the, they went for the referenda on uh, gay marriage and, and on abortion. abortion. Yeah. And as a result, they lost all their political power. There, there, there's no as I've been hearing, no mass is not being celebrated in Ireland. Well, this we're back to the penal times, the times yeah. of the penal laws when the Irish had to go out in the middle of fields to hear hear mass. Mm. This is yeah. this is what happens. This this is the pro, this is what I've been saying over and over and over again. In one way or another, whether it's logos or whatever, uh, or your national identity, the we have a, a massive. A campaign of identity theft going on throughout the world where the people are being deprived of their real identity uh, the way the Irish were uh, and they were manipulated into this by giving up their, their Catholic identity by choosing something over the Catholic identity as a, some type of liberation now they can get abortions uh, well guess what you're locked down worse than any other country in Europe because of that uh, move toward sexual liberation that's the yeah, book I wrote 20 years ago about libido dominandi. That's yeah. it's it's all coming true now. Yeah, and when we spoke a couple of years ago, I think it was when the Irish and you saw the scenes that we were disgusted by them with the young ladies out, you know, in a sort of like this frenzy of uh, I don't know, this hysteria that they that the abortion laws were brought through. I remember us at the time you know, suggesting that this was not going to end well, you know, in, ter in terms of spiritual protection for Ireland, you know. And look, look how quickly it happened. Yeah, I know. Uh, it like happened overnight. And there's there's basically no resistance. Where is the resistance in Ireland? This is the country that overthrew British rule in, in, 19, in 1915, 1917, this period of time. And yeah. where is it now? It's been drained out of the Irish people because of their defection from the Catholic faith. They, yeah. they need to wake up to that fact. Yeah, they've really swallowed it all hook, line, and sinker over there, you know. Um, can the United States even survive uh, with the polarization that's going on there with, uh, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any cohesion anymore between some of the blue states and the red states. There's increasing race tensions going on. I, you know, I, I acknowledge that a lot of that's been stoked up, but 
uh, you know, uh, there's some of it's not been stoked up as well uh, in terms of there's a lot of, you know, people on both sides buying into it. You know, is cessation uh, a realistic uh, possibility for the United States? Because how long can it really su- survive with that level of p- uh, polarity? You don't have to go to secession. What what you have is uh, the the rise of states' rights uh, as as the alternative to the the ever encroaching national government. I, so to back up here, one of the great uh, achievements uh, of the social engineers was to convince everybody over here that they're all Americans. That was not easy to do because everybody came from someplace else here. And the main job of those people was to convince you to give up your your uh, ethnic identity. Uh, and they did that. I, what was the high point? I don't know, maybe World War II when you put 11 million men in uniform and, you, and that's a real heavy-duty form of social engineering. But anyway, it was always a struggle. Well, they, they gave up on that struggle and the Democratic Party chose identity politics over that. And the main... Uh, main uh, 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 basis for identity politics is race. So playing black against against white. Uh, that I just gave a talk to um, uh, a Lithuanian group in Chicago. Uh, this this was a, a classic example of, of what I'm talking about of the identity theft that I'm talking about. So the the great uh, uh, campaign for social engineering was the civil rights movement. During the 1960s, in, 19, in 1954, there were basically two options. Uh, there was the ethnic option and there was the racial option. The ethnic option is the real option. It's called the triple melting pot. And it says that basically no matter where you came from, after three generations, you become a Protestant, a Catholic or Jew. And they are the ethnic groups. The government went for the racial option with Brown versus School Board, the desegregation decision of the Supreme Court. And they've been trying to impose that ever since because it's a way of controlling the population. And you control the population by getting these people to fight against each other. The only uh, remedy to that is identity, to have some type of clear uh, sense of identity. And the only identity you can have in America is religion. If you don't have a religious identity, you have no identity, and they know that, and so they'll provide you with a pseudo-identity, white or black, but there are also other kinds of pseudo-identities. Sports teams are kind of pseudo-ethnic groups. You have pseudo-ethnic clothing. You dress up in a certain way. You can immediately identify with fellow members of your group. Uh, Harley Davidson, you know, all this this type of stuff. There's all these phony identity groups that exist to uh, divide you. But what do you do, though, in a situation where the nation and the West has been secularized so much that, you know, when I was at school in, in, in Northern Ireland, you were either Protestant or Catholic. Now, a lot of those Catholics and a lot of those Protestants, they weren't believers. They were atheist Catholics and atheist Protestants. And you, eventually- know that, you know that story, don't you, about the, the band <laughs> yeah. coming out of the pub? It's yeah. dark, you know, he's in Belfast, it's dark, and suddenly he's surrounded by armed men. And they say... Uh, are you a, a Protestant or a Catholic? And the man says, I'm an atheist. And then the gunman says, are you a Protestant atheist or a Catholic atheist? <laughs> but, that, but that's true because, you know, when we grew up in Northern Ireland, you know, we had Catholic schools and we had Protestant schools. And you, you're, you, because of the tensions, obviously, as well, you were either a Catholic or a Protestant. Now, this is an interesting conversation because in my experience, 
in Northern Ireland alone, because people were atheists, when that generation left school and they went to university, and some of these are still my friends today, I keep in touch with them, eventually these people got fed up being identified as Protestants and Catholics because they didn't see themselves as religious people. So I don't know, they ended up, as you said, they ended up identifying as whatever, being, you know, Gaelic football or, you know, some sort of sports or God knows what, you know. And so you have the secularization of the nation, uh, you know, of the West today. I mean, there's essentially no real power in the church in, in, in the UK today, maybe in pockets in the unionist uh, community in Northern Ireland. But apart from that, it's largely a joke. You know, even evangelical Christians in local churches, you might expect better of the lack of discernment, the biblical uh, exegesis and teaching is awful. Uh, if you go to a Catholic church, it's so watered down. I don't know where to go, Mike, you know? Yeah, you have to go to church because you're. Uh, that's uh, important. Uh, but what we're seeing happened at this period of time is that Protestantism basically evaporated. Uh, and I'm talking mainly about Scandinavia, uh, which uh, at the beginning, at the end of the 20th century, still had a, a state church that was a Lutheran church, was the state, official state church, and it disappeared. It's no longer there. And so it created an identity crisis for people like my friend uh, Frody Mityord, who now thinks he's white. How can you be white in, uh, in Norway? You can only be white with black people around because it's a negative identity. But they don't know what else to do because their religious identity had evaporated. Exactly. You, you, so, you, you cannot underestimate the importance of religion as a way of giving you an identity. So no, I, I don't. Like the Balkans, the Balkans, it's exactly like what I said about the United States. There are three ethnic groups and they're based on three religions. And when the when Hitler showed up, or when the Nazis showed up in in the Balkans during World War II, they tried to come up with some type of racial distinction between Serbs and Croats. Well, it's impossible. They're the same people from that point of view. There's no difference. The only difference is one group is Orthodox and the other group is Catholic. That's the uh, if you go to India now, the main reason that Modi is in power is because he's mobilizing Hindu fundamentalism. That's a powerful, a powerful political force. It's the same way all over the world. And so the secularization uh, just leads to the uh, the secularization of the majority leads to the the power of the minority. And so in the United States, the classic example of that is the Protestants and the Catholics get secularized and the Jews get the power. That's what happened in the United States over the course of the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've spoken before, and I've said this to you before. You know, as soon as you abandon the church, you you, you go essentially, whether you like it or not, you're heading into the synagogue. You know, uh, this is this going- is what this is what Civita Cattolica said in 1890. The official journal of the Catholic Church says uh, uh, any country that turns against the laws created by Christian princes will end up being ruled by Jews. Well, that's exactly. what happened. That's yeah. what happened. It happened in France. And it happened in the United States of America. Yeah, it just feels to me that it's a bit kind of out of control now because you have the secularization of of the nations. You have a lot of people who've got negative views of, of Christianity and even religion generally, and yet you've got this multiculturalism. So you have black people really identifying as black. They're really easily stirred up, a lot of them, by the narrative coming out of the Jewish media that they're victims. You have white people feeling more white than ever. Listen, Mike. I don't go around constantly 
thinking myself as a white guy. I do identify as a Christian. But when I switch the news on, or I even go to my local church, and you've got an elder in the church having a discussion uh, on racism in the church because he's got his back up by by some perceived slight, it's kind of hard not to feel identified as a white guy because that's that's it's been brought out and it's been brought out because you have this multiculturalism thing and you have black people who buy into this narrative that they're victims and you have white people who have the finger pointed at them all the time like they're evil and you have the secularization of the of of these nations i mean i don't know any easy solution to this apart from it's inevitably going to end up in some sort of race war and the tensions are so high with this derek chauvin case like you know was that justice or was that the end of justice in america because that whole trial was a farce and that needs to be called a mistrial in my view yeah i think it will be even alan dershowitz said that yeah that, 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 that man that, that man could not get a fair trial i mean it, it, it was before if if they discovered a newspaper in the jury room they declared a mistrial because they were getting obviously the interpretation of the press well for nothing for months leading up to the trial everyone was subjected to the same video over and over and over again and overt racism over overt racism that this man was guilty because he was white it was clear and add to the fact that you're white and a cop you can't get a fair trial period i was okay, so, I, I was uh, just in chicago had lunch with two two cops they're both retiring they got a lesbian okay a a, a black lesbian who was the mayor of chicago and she's married to a jewish lesbian well this is trouble Guess what? They're going to have problems. And the people, the cops are saying, I don't want to be uh, a guinea pig. I don't want to be a proxy warrior of their agenda. So they're leaving, quitting. Hold hold that thought, gentlemen. We have the bottom of the hour break. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. It's happening, ladies and gentlemen. We here at RBN are working with Front Sight Firearms Training Institute to bring our audience the best in combat, tactical, and defensive firearms training. Whether you're a private citizen who is new to firearms or you have a concealed weapon permit and want a level of training that surpasses what you've received from your local gun range, Front Sight provides priceless education and skills taught by seasoned law enforcement, military, and private citizen instructors to levels that far exceed law enforcement and military standard. With nearly a million responsible citizens trained from every town, city, and state from across the United States, Front Sight has bolstered the Patriot movement to a whole new level. Contact Dan Sutterfield by phone at 573-762-2356 or 573-465-2356 or shoot him an email at domedan, D-O-M-E-D-A-N at hotmail.com. This is a limited time opportunity. Don't miss it. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop and lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop and lift? 
Hari's Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows too. Ease off LLC 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Beyond the official narrative, Republic Broadcasting, here with my Monday co-host, Paul Edward Stevenson, and our special guest today, uh, Mr. E. Michael Jones. And gentlemen, if you could please just pick up where you left off. Yeah, I was just, I was saying, you know, we're talking about this trial. It needs to be called a mistrial. It, it, it was uh, a trial and a verdict by mob rule and, and, and mob justice, in my opinion. Now, considering the smokescreen for this Bolshevik revolution acceleration that this case represents and epitomizes, notwithstanding lots of people have bought into this as genuine justice and a step in the right direction and just the beginning and all the rhetoric that we've heard, what kind of a powder keg is the United States sitting on if justice is to be pursued and that this, this, this policeman gets a fair trial and as you acknowledged, it's perfectly understandable and inevitable that the police, knowing that they're going to be thrown under the bus for policing black crime, which is extensive in America, are standing down. Uh, I mean, but this is, it seems like a mess to me, you know? Well, it is. And you're, it's compounded by the fact that you have Soros prosecutors, prosecutors that have been put in place by Soros money, who are making it clear that they're not going to prosecute black crime. So you have this kind of uh, racism now being imposed 
on cities and the, the cops are the people in the middle. You know, they're the ones that have to go and, and deal with the issues when they get out of hand. And uh, they they are uh, they're penalized by doing their job. Now, the, the other just as the trial ended, there was another situation where this girl uh, is pulls a knife and she's ready to stab another girl. And the cop tells her to stop and he, he shoots her. Well, he's protecting the life of another person there. By another, another black person as well. So a black person is going to die either way. So, so uh, what what exactly is your solution here uh, when you're talking about a situation like this? They have to react. Now, we also have to take a step back here and realize that the cop is the uh, the the last resort. Uh, all of these there are cops in schools now. It's it's pretty cl- uh, pretty common, and uh, nobody seems to talk about it. But the fact that you have to put a cop in school means the school is broken down. This this was. Uh, I, I remember I, I, I sympathize with that that cop in that situation because I was when I in the 1970s, the early 70s, I was a substitute teacher in Philadelphia and I walked into the classroom. I'm supposed to take over. It's a, bl- a black section of the city. They're all all the students are black. And there's one girl uh, kicking another. The other's lying on the floor and she's kicking her. So I have to go over there and basically grab her by the shoulders to remove her from this other girl, to keep her from doing harm. So I'm, I'm holding her there, and she's screaming at me. Uh, and eventually she, she, uh, she, I don't know whether she, I forget now whether she bit me or she clawed me, but I started bleeding. My, my hands are bleeding now, and I'm thinking, I can't let her go. She's, she's going to commit some type of mayhem. I let her go. So fortunately, the, the, the cop came in. Uh, from the hallway. Actually, I don't think it was a cop. I think it was just another teacher. And then she's telling me, yeah, she she got problems. Yeah, well, she sure do have problems. And that's <laughs> that's the problem that the cops are now supposed to solve. I, yeah. I know what the problem is. I know what the problem I have enough experience with that community to know what the problem is. And I know that sexual molestation of children in that community is commonplace. And it causes this psychopathic behavior. I did a story on this. Uh, a lady, uh, Carolyn Peoples, who's uh, from Chicago, serving seven consecutive life terms for murder. I interviewed her at uh, the Dwight Correctional Institute in Illinois. And that was her story. This type of sexual molestation, the sexual morality in this group having collapsed all but completely. The children are vulnerable, and they grow up in a situation of complete rage and complete disorder. Yeah. And so she, she eventually gravitated to uh, prostitution. The gangs are the, the only source of order in the society, and that's not an order that you want to be part of. She becomes a prostitute. Uh, she realizes uh, she, uh, if you pull a gun on the John, you get his whole wallet instead of whatever he's going to pay you, and that works for a while. And then she realizes if you shoot the guy, uh, you can... Uh, uh, get uh, other things as well. So she ended up murder. She was convicted of seven murders. Now, she did other murders, but she wasn't tried for them. They figured putting her away for seven consecutive life sentences was enough. That's not. There was a lot of a lot of water over the dam before the police got involved there, and that's not unusual <laughs> for that for the South Side of Chicago. It's yeah. not unusual. Okay. 
And we listen. We have a similar problem over here with you know some of you know, we had the, the whole Pakistani grooming ga- gang scandal over here. Right. This this backward, you know, pre-Christian or un-Christian sort of way of thinking. We've had, you know, I, I covered a story where in one of the East London boroughs, which is you know has a dominant in quotes they call them Asian community over here. You guys sort of would refer to that more as sort of Chinese type people, um, where. One in seven child deaths in in a borough of Redbridge over here uh, was as a result of I forget the the more 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 you know, longer term for it, but essentially it was incest. Um, and a blind eye was turned to that. And then you look at the community that you're talking about. I, mean, I saw the picture of this girl about to stab the other girl. And in my opinion, the police had two choices. One of them was probably going to die, or he was going to kill the other one. And you look at it and you think, and I think one of the backstories to this was that the girl had a row with that girl and that she was locked out of the house or something. And I couldn't help but thinking, so that's sufficient reason to actually lift a knife and actually stab a girl to death. I mean, this is not normal, Mike. And you, it's, you, not you cannot, it's not reason. It's not reason either. Well, you can it's, understand. It's a complete, it's a complete uh, uh, basically... Uh, control of passion. Passion is total control of the culture. And as a result, people are getting hurt. And suppose uh, that the, the child gets hurt long enough uh, that he decides he's got to protect himself. And so then you go to weapons and you go to g- guns and knives. And then it becomes it's not I'm protecting myself. I'm going to take proactive measures and you miss with me and you say that or what it, it, they fly off the handle at a moment's notice because passion uh, isn't control and not logos because no one has taught them that there is a rational order to the universe and they would be happier if they conform themselves to it yeah of course but you know in europe for example i i don't know i think there's more people thinking it than actually would say it because of the smearing and the and the the, the consequences that come with it but you know i'll be honest with you when i see this sort of stuff going on I just think to myself, we imported this, or it was imposed immigration. And I think to myself, this is not typical Western, uh, even among sec- secular native population behavior. It's all, it, it, more often than not, it tends to be these other groups, whether it's Muslim groups, whether it's the black community where you've got a knife epidemic and the young, the young black youths are out knifing each other. And you can't help but think, we don't wish you any harm, but we're getting sick of this now. E- even the cost of the policing. And then because these people are here, they're able to be stoked up. And, and you just think to yourself, we don't want this in, in our country. If you go back 50 years ago, you would see a dramatic drop in crime, in violence, right. sexual crime, right. grooming this, gangs, all right. the rest of it. You know, why import this? Well, it's, uh, first of all, uh, the, it, the same thing happened in the United States. It was predatory migration, but it was with, from within the United States of America. The people and the blacks in Chicago came from Mississippi. There's a rail line takes them up there. I know people like this. I know did stories about the people. Uh, my friend Gloria Hardy was sexually molested as a child by her father. Uh, why was that? Well, part of it is migration. Mo- most people are not philosophers. I know this comes as a shock to you. So they don't reason according to the categorical imperative because they've never heard of Immanuel Kant. They do what other people do. It's custom that rules people's lives. And so they came from the South and they had customs in the South. And you go to Chicago and all bets are off. 
it looks as if there's no there's no limits and they go crazy. This is part of migration. It's intrinsic to migration. If you move people around, they will there will there will be moral decline because most people operate according to customs. And the customs are to some extent irrational because that what that's what custom means. It's not something you you figured out. It's something that everybody does because everybody does it. Period. And there's an element of irrationality to it, but that's that's there's an element of necessity to it as well. If you have mass migration, you're going to have the corruption of the morals of the population. It's that simple. And that I think the Jewish groups that are promoting mass migration in Europe know that. They know that, and they're deliberately promoting it because of that. And they're deliberately restricting it from places like Israel. Israel takes no immigrants, and yet all the Jewish groups are promoting migration to Europe because they know how to weaponize it, and they know that they can destroy the coherence of a, uh, a, a, a dominant culture by doing that type of stuff. Richard, have you anything you want? Any questions for Mike? Sorry, I've been dominating the interview a little bit here. Well, I, I understand how, uh, Michael, you stress your uh, Christian faith over uh, any racial identification. But at the same time, I mean, you see how you mentioned the Jewish power structure and how they're weaponizing races against each other and certainly dispossessing uh, the white populations in Europe and in America here as well even though Europe has more justification to see themselves perhaps as uh, you know, nations of specific ethnicities, like you were alluding to earlier. But, I mean, surely you could see um, Paul's point earlier that there is, uh, to some degree, um, a, 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 um, a healthy uh, version of, of just preserving, you know, your culture. And, and yeah, you might have a bit of a, a, a um, sustained... Um, collectivism you know with your with your own uh racial group but that doesn't mean you wish anyone else harm or you don't interact with them and and, and mean the best for everyone i'm just i'm just saying that if you want to preserve your culture as a croat for example don't say you're white <laughs> because you will fail we we went through this in st louis uh this past summer there was a, a, oh, wave, a wave of iconoclasm going through the country. And so, OK, we're going to tear down the statue of Robert E. Lee. Well, the statue in St. Louis was St. Louis. That was the king of France in the 13th century. What's that got to do with slavery? No, Nothing. Yes. And Charlottesville. Uh, Charlottesville. Uh... Charlottesville was the opposite. Charlottesville, mm. you had these people self-identifying as white. And as soon as you do that, you're going to lose. And they lost horrendously. Mm. There are people who are in prison forever now because of being in Charlottesville when they thought they had the, the ability to exercise their rights of assembly and free speech. The exact opposite happened in St. Louis. I think I played a role in this because I intervened and I interrupted the identity theft that was going on there. So there are people at the statue who want to preserve the statue. The guy who's in charge of it calls himself a Muslim. He's not really a Muslim, but uh, he calls says they're white supremacists. Well, they were praying the rosary. The white supremacists pray the rosary? No, they were Catholics, and this is identity theft. And he knew that if you could convince the people that these were white people, they were going to lose. 
And I did the opposite. I exposed it. I said they were Catholics, and that statue is still standing. But do you, here, here's the other problem with this, though, because even if you don't identify as, as, as white, if someone identifies as French or if someone identifies as white or, sorry, as Irish, well, then what you'll have then is you can have someone up until 30 years ago had no presence here. They're maybe from Bangladesh. They're maybe from Eritrea. And apparently they're as Irish as I am. And that to me is counterintuitive. I mean, you know, a nation is a people's. A, a nation is built up. And I believe part of that identity as a nation is, uh, you know, the, the ray of the ethnicity of that group in the same way as when you think of an African, you think of a black man. When you think of an Irishman, you think of, you know, pale skin and maybe ginger hair, perhaps. Maybe that's been a little bit too stereotypical. But once you've got someone from Bangladesh with an Irish passport who can claim to be Irish, to me, that's just nonsense. You have to take this as in degrees here. So there, you know, I, I've been in this discussion before. Suppose an African goes to Poland and learns Polish. Can he be Polish? Well, the answer is yes, it is. It is. Now, if you take a boatload of Africans and send them to Ireland and they all they do is live with each other in a completely artificial environment, they will not be assimilated. They cannot be assimilated on in great numbers like that. This was the story of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had a process of assimilation called receptio, which is basically if you came from Gaul, you ended up in Syria and you learned Latin and you were part of a Latin colony in Syria. And that worked fine. Uh, and then uh, the uh, the Roman Empire ran out of troops, and there was a bunch of troops there. The Goths were ready to become troops. They're ready to be mercenaries. But they just moved en masse across the Danube. And once they were inside uh, a Rome at that point, right across the river from where they came from, with masses of people who only spoke Gothic, Receptio broke down. The same rule applies now. If you have this mass migration, it is not going to work. But that doesn't change the principle because I was in the situation myself. I, I could have become a German, uh, uh, but I could not have. Uh, obviously, I have German roots, but I was an American. That's a different nation, a different culture. And I could not have become a German unless I had learned the language. And the other factor was that I landed in a Catholic part of Germany and I came back to the Catholic faith because of that. So I had this double, let's say the double uh, barreled approach here uh, where it worked for me. Uh, I was uh, I spoke German and I was a Catholic living in a German Catholic area. That was great. I'm saying it's those are the conditions will allow it to work, but it only works under certain conditions. If you have masses of people showing up in one area, which is what it was like this. I'm talking about 1975 now. I'm in Berlin and there uh, Kreuzberg is Turkish. It's a Turkish colony in Berlin. And so there's a mad dog. I saw it on television. There's a mad dog running around Kreuzberg and the announcer comes on television and he has to speak Turkish. Because it's not no one will understand him if he speaks German. Now that was a failure of assimilation, 
but over this period of time, nothing stands still. And so you have generation after generation. And so by the time the third generation is there, your children and grandchildren are intermarried. And basically, that's it. You are what, what they were. America is proof of that. But it's religion. The triple melting pot says it's religion that preserves your identity. And as I said, in 1954, the United States made the decision to eliminate ethnicity. Ethnicity was bad. We were going to destroy those ethnic neighborhoods. And race now becomes the paradigm for the United States of America. All right. We've just put an announcement. We've only got seven minutes left, so let's switch gears quickly because I want your view on uh, what's happening uh, at the Russian border and whether that could escalate. And just generally, do you see a World War Three scenario happening in, in in some form or another? Yes. Whether it's, okay. Yes. Yes, it right. can happen here. There's no question that it can happen there. And uh, what happened over the the uh, from the coup d'état? Uh, when was the coup d'état when Victoria Nuland was handing out cookies in the Ukraine? I think it was 13 or 14, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, so what happened over this period of time is the balance of power has shifted, and now it's in favor. The Russians are in control of the situation, and the Russians feel the way, um, uh, you know, the Ukraine, uh, first of all, the eastern part of the Ukraine is all Russian nationals. Uh, largely because of the ethnic mixing that took place under Stalin and so on and so forth. Uh, they took the they took the Crimea, they took that back, and they have drawn a line in the sand, and they're saying basically, Putin is saying, if uh, you build a NATO, NATO base there, we're invading, and they can make it stick now. So we're talking about a, a period of time. Let's take the war the war in Serbia as the benchmark here. Uh, Serbia uh, was defeated by the United States uh, after 71 days of bombardment because Russia simply could not support its colony. Russia was so weak at that point, it couldn't support them. That situation has changed completely. The missile has now made, the Russian missile, especially those hypersonic Russian missiles, have made uh, the aircraft carrier, the tank, and uh, air bases obsolete. Obsolete. So if they if they the, the the Ukrainians are foolish enough to try and do uh, a, a a NATO build a NATO base, Russia will act, and that could trigger World War Three. Yeah, and quickly over to the Middle East. Uh, last week I saw it was a few days ago. I think a Syrian missile made it through uh, Israeli defenses after obviously you know on. Uh, well, I mean, the media doesn't really cover it, but you can be guaranteed if there's a missile going into uh, Israel, it's, you know, after, you know, constant uh, Israeli aggression towards that uh, uh, nation um, and the Iran situation there. How do you see that developing? Because, I mean, we're, we're, we're essentially back under a third Obama term, the, really. Aren't we? The, the, main, the main thing that has happened is over the course of the Trump administration, the balance of power has shifted. The balance of the Eurasian landmass has united. The balance of power has shifted so that they are holding the dominant. They have the dominant position right now. And Iran, I've just watched some Russian uh, strategists. The United States cannot conquer Iran. They cannot conquer it. It took 500,000 American troops to pacify Kuwait. And Kuwait is a drop in the bucket compared to a country as big and diverse and mobilized as Iran. So they can't do it. So now they're back to the old uh, original plan. This, the, 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 the military people told the president back then 
with the Obama administration that they can't do it, so we'll have a nuclear agreement. Well, they did, and then Trump threw it out simply because Sheldon Adelson didn't like it. Sheldon Adelson's dead, uh, Trump's out of office, and now they're going to have to go back to the original plan, and Iran's not going to buy into it anymore, not in the uh, way they did before. So it, the fundamental situ the situation has shift shifted, and the balance of power has shifted in favor of the Eurasians against quite, the yeah. uh, island nations of uh, America, England, and uh, NATO. One last question. Okay, so the United States cannot invade Iran. Can the United States even protect Israel? If, if Iran decided or Syria decided to attack Israel, is it that bad for the West, for, the, for, the, for their interests? Could they even defend Israel? Do we lose them? That was, that was it. Well, it's almost the end. I guess the, usually they sign off. No, we're still here, Mike. I think we're still live. Aren't yeah, we? we're, we're still here. I still hear you, Paul. No, I can't hear a thing. Yeah, so my, Mike, can you hear me? Richard, could you ask Mike that question in case he can't hear me? No, can you can I, you I still hear can you still hear us, Mr. Jones? Yeah, we're still we're still on the air. Hello. Yeah, we're still live. If you can hear us. Hello. Hello, Mike. Yeah, we. I I got disconnected. Okay, one last okay. question. Uh, one last question. Can, can can the U.S. and the NATO uh, uh, alliance can they even protect Israel from Iran if Iran decided to attack Israel? No, no, no uh, weapon shield is uh, as good as a missile. The classic example is Saudi Arabia by state of the art, uh, uh, whatever they're called, uh, missiles, uh, the defense shield, the Iron Dome, whatever it is. And the Houthi can launch a, a refitted Scud and land in the middle of Riyadh. So that's not I would not be reassured. I don't think they can defend themselves. Okay, that's interesting. That's really interesting. All right, Mike, listen, it's great to speak to you again, and hopefully we'll get you on soon. And uh, just take care, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. And just thank you for coming on. Thank you, Paul. Good to be with you. Thank yeah, you, Richard. Bye-bye. Thank you. Much appreciated. Well, that was a great uh, discussion, definitely. And, of course, it is uh, hard to believe that Iran would actually be uh, be taken on and defeated. And... But, I mean, uh, the way uh, E. Michael was mentioning, it would be with uh, Russia's backing as well. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, not only could Iran, you know, the, the you know, Western, U.S.-backed Western forces not invade Iran, but if I understood them there correctly, that you could go one further than that, that, that actually they couldn't even protect Israel from Iran. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. The Iron Dome is... is yeah, because... Is, yeah. That is, it's cracked up to be. Yeah, because there was a missile that did get through last week from Syria. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that was brilliant. All right, look forward to you next week, Paul. Thanks, Mike. Uh, All right, have a great weekend. And thank everyone who is listening. Please support RBN, folks. We uh, depend on your donations to keep everything running here. Stick around for Dr. Patrick Slattery with National Bugle Radio. And we will speak again soon. Transcend the construct. Regards. <laughs>